Welcome to this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. I'm your host, John Henry Weston. This week, we are going to be talking about something that is really a shame to Canada. We have found out that the number one porn provider on the internet, the most disgusting thing, happens not in the United States, like money would like to think, but right here in Canada. We're going to be talking about it. Stay tuned. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm here first of all with Georges Buscemi. Georges Buscemi is the president of Campagne Quebec V, which is the pro-life movement in Quebec, Canada. And he's got some very interesting things to tell us about. In fact, he discovered that this company is actually in Montreal, Quebec, where he's from. And uh, Georges, why don't you tell us about it? Well, it all began when we were fighting the sex ed course in uh, Quebec. So recently, the uh, government of Quebec was trying to put forth this uh, sex ed course, and the uh, students, uh, the uh, Montreal parents, were trying to fight the sex ed course. So uh, in the midst of researching about sex ed, uh, somebody came to me and they said, well, did you know that... Um, there is a company in Montreal, and they're the biggest porn providers. They're the ones that are responsible for Pornhub, and they're right here in Montreal. And I said, what? Really? Incredible. We, nobody has ever heard of this. And so I dug a little bit, and then recently I found uh, documentaries and other uh, articles talking about this company called MindGeek, and it turns out that this is the single largest porn company in the world, and it's right here in Montreal, Quebec, of all places. Hmm. Unbelievable. A, a, you know, Canada always thinks of itself as so wonderful and good, not, you know, into the uh, always profit gearing at the expense of people like they are in the United States, everybody says. But here it is, the most exploitive, disgusting thing going on on the internet. Where is it? It's in Canada, right in Quebec, in the heart of Canada. So let's uh, tell us about what you found. Well, so basically, the reason it's in Montreal <clears throat> is that Montreal is a programmer and geek hub. It's a place where all the programmers go because there's lots of software companies like Ubisoft for video games, and there are very high-level universities like Concordia University, McGill, Université de Montréal, and even UCAM. Um, they all have very highly qualified programmers that come out of these schools. And so... Um, there were students going to Concordia University around 2003. So uh, they are Stefan Manos, Wissam Youssef, and Matt Kieser. So those were university students at Concordia. They were programmers, uh, they were coders, and they decided that they wanted to make a little money on the side. So they started building websites, and they started building what are called uh, TGP, or uh, thun Thumbnail Gallery websites. And uh, they started making a lot of money just by doing that. And then what their specialty was is they were good at coding what are called affiliate uh, networks. So basically, porn sites work like funnels. Like all sales, uh, you have the product that you want to sell, but you also want to funnel potential buyers 
into your website where they finally make the purchase. And porn sites do this by having a lot of free porn sites. So people start with the free stuff and then eventually they get led on to buying porn. And the free sites want to get a commission from those sales. And the algorithms involved in doing all that are actually quite complex. And the means for funneling people are actually quite complex and require high-level programming. And these young students had that high-level programming. So they were able to take an industry that was kind of behind the times technologically, and they brought it to the next level with these, uh, with these algorithms for affiliate networking and for also uh, website construction. So before, we had static sites with thumbnails, and then they brought it finally into the age of YouTube. So after mm. 2005, uh, when YouTube really hit the mainstream, they started uh, Pornhub. And that allowed them to create the same kind of dynamic we saw with YouTube, but with porn. And that really mainstreamed it to such an extent that their company had... Uh, 80 okay. employees one year, then doubled the next year, and it just went crazy from there on in. Okay, so God willing, most of our viewers have absolutely no idea what this is. So tell us a little bit about Pornhub. What exactly is it? Um, we've heard rumors from the United States that there's all sorts of filth. There's actually underage uh, pedophile videos going up on Pornhub. What in the world is Pornhub? Okay, so the easiest way to understand it is that Pornhub is the YouTube of porn. Mm -hmm. So everything that we see on YouTube is basically, uh, for the most part, uploaded by the users themselves. Okay. So I am an ordinary person, but I want to show a video of my dog doing a new trick. So I film my dog doing a trick, and then I upload it to YouTube, and then my friends and family and a lot of other people can end up watching it. It may go viral, meaning it may get shared to such a large extent that thousands and millions of people watch the video. So that's the essence of YouTube, and you put enough of these together, and you get thousands of videos uh, uploaded to the platform and uh, with millions of viewers. And what happens is that YouTube make their money not off the videos, because those are free, they make it off of advertising. So because they, they've succeeded in getting all these people to come to their site to watch the videos, well then they, they feed these people advertising. And that's mm -hmm. their, their business model. So okay. in the same way, Pornhub works uh, exactly the same way, except with porn. Okay, okay. So the, the people in this business uh, have obviously tried to hide themselves. I'd like uh, for us to watch this video you did. You went out to the place in Montreal where Pornhub is situated or where this new company is situated. They don't actually call themselves Pornhub. Why don't you set up the clip for us to watch? So the video was shot um, on DeCary Boulevard. It's a boulevard that splits Montreal in two, uh, north-south, and um, there's a big orange julep it's a big uh, kind of a restaurant, a diner, uh, Montreal landmark. And across the street from that big orange julep is this shiny glass building. It's mm -hmm. uh, uh, totally nondescript, uh, no, uh, 12, 15 floors, and uh, no logos, no writing, nothing. Mm -hmm. And that is the location of what's called MindGeek, which is the parent company for uh, Pornhub, YouPorn, and a lot of other dozens and dozens of other porn uh, businesses. Mm -hmm. And so 
at that location is where we were. It's a kind of a multicultural neighborhood in Montreal. And uh, we asked questions around that building. We asked people, do you know this building? Know people who, who they are? Do you know MindGeek? And nobody had a clue who we were talking about. Yeah. Amazing. All, all local to there. Um, we're going to take a look at that clip in just a second. But also, they're concealing themselves online. If you look up MindGeek, what, what do you find on the internet? Well, you find just vague statistics on what they uh, achieve, but mm -hmm. you see nothing as to what they're actually doing, which is mm -hmm. pornography. Uh, you see nothing about that. All you see is, oh, we are... Uh, the future of content uh, uh, delivery, we have this kind of uh, performance, we have yeah. these many views, but you have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. They and, look uh, just like a tech company, nothing else. That's exactly it. They want to portray themselves as a run-of-the-mill, bland startup tech company, and that they're just a bunch of geeks, and that uh, they like programming and you're not mm -hmm. too sure what they're doing but you're sure that it's something sophisticated and uh, probably lucrative mm -hmm. but you have no idea what it is and they want to keep it that way because they don't yeah. want anyone to be um, embarrassed or, or or uncomfortable with the situation and it, they just don't want any publicity whatsoever absolutely well let's have a look at that clip Hello everyone, this is George Buscemi from Campagne Quebec V. We're in Montreal today on this February cold day and we're on Decary Boulevard. Now what are we doing here? Well we just happen to be in front of a building that houses the largest porn company in the world and nobody around here knows about it. This company is called MindGeek. It all started in 2003 when three Concordia University students, Matt Kieser, Stefan Manos, and Wissam Youssef, and some friends built porn sites in what is called a TGP, or thumbnail gallery post, style. They immediately and easily made a lot of money. They soon founded Brazzers, a pay-for-porn site, along with what in marketing is called an affiliate network, a system devised to funnel internet users to a pay site through advertising on free sites. With the money windfall that came from these new sites, they then founded more sites catering to diverse sexual fetishes and niches, one of these being Pornhub, a YouTube for porn which today is the single most visited porn site in the world, with close to 100 million daily visitors. Their workload trebling from their business success, they began hiring anyone around them willing to make a fast buck, starting with friends and family. They founded a holding company to handle it all, Mansef. From 80 employees in 2007, their workforce nearly doubled every year to 250 in 2009. In the meantime, a young German entrepreneur and self-proclaimed geek named Fabian Thillman, a programmer since he was 17, had begun leveraging his expertise at affiliate tracking and management in the burgeoning internet porn industry. In 2006, he cashed out of a company he had co-founded and began acquiring some of the porn companies he had become familiar with, 
He soon learned that one very interesting and very successful company had been looking for a buyout, Mansef. And the reason for selling was even more interesting. Mansef's young owners, Concordia students, Concordia graduates, didn't want their parents to know about their incredibly lucrative porn business. Until then, Mansef's owners had been hiding behind a facade of calculated corporate blandness to fool outsiders into thinking that they ran a run-of-the-mill high-tech startup. Thillman bought Mansef for an estimated $140 million. He changed the name of the company to Manwin which continued its dizzying growth right up until the day when Thillman, for reasons that remain unclear, felt forced to sell the company to its current owners, Faris Antoon and David Marmerstein Tassillo, both high-level employees of Manwin. The new owners renamed the company MindGeek which today employs over 1,000 people, mostly in a shiny glass building across the orange julep on Dickari Boulevard, Montreal. No one we interviewed in the vicinity of the building could even recognize the name MindGeek or tell us what its 1,000 plus employees were doing. Yearly, this company makes $800 million in revenue, an incredible fact that almost nobody knows about. This is George Buscemi for LifeSite News in Montreal. So there we saw all sorts of people having no clue what this place is, a very expensive looking building right in, in the middle of Montreal, uh, and yet nobody knows what it is. Tiny, you know, uh, insignia of, of, of mind geek, whatever that's supposed to mean, uh, just concealing themselves. Now, you were telling me that they also conceal themselves elsewhere. We looked at their headquarters in Montreal, also at their website. Where else are they and how else are they concealing themselves? Well, uh, as far as I can tell, they have um, offices around the world. They have some servers uh, in Dublin, they have uh, they have uh, other other uh, locations other elsewhere in Europe, but uh, according to the documentaries I've watched and I've seen a, a documentary done by a local um, uh, journalist at La Presse, and uh, when they go and knock on the doors of these different places, just nobody nobody's there. They might have hmm. four employees. They just kind of keep the lights on. Uh, these are all kind of, uh, they look phony. They don't look like real places. All the action seems to be happening at the Montreal location on Carey Boulevard. There's about, it's, it's estimated that there are about a thousand workers at that location. Wow. And, and what are they all doing, these thousand people? Now, according to the uh, job advertising, so if you go to the website, for example, Glassdoor, and they advertise for all these sorts of jobs, and people who have worked at that location also leave reviews. Mm -hmm. And for example, there's a co format... Uh, content formatter job and it's kind of humorous in a, in a sad way that the person says well now to tell you the truth what this job is content formatter and because when you apply for a job it doesn't say anywhere that it's for porn so mm. that person is saying well the, the content formatting job actually is you watching underage 
porn all day and, and, and deleting the ones that are against the law. And that's basically your job. So that, there's that kind of job. Uh, there's other, but mostly it's, it's, it's programming. It's programming the um, websites for cell phone usage, for tablet usage, for desktop usage. It's uh, getting the, the servers to be able to uh, uh, take care, uh, support the load of all those videos being uploaded by different people who are uploading either porn of themselves doing sex acts or uh, pirating things and uploading uh, porn from other companies, which is a big problem for these other porn companies that are being um, pirated. So their, mm. their, their films are being stolen and then uploaded to this and people can watch them for free. And so it causes a problem for other porn companies. That's another side issue. Mm. But so, so the, these jobs are mostly programming. Uh, and then there's content formatting. And then there's what you call A-B testing. So some uh, thumbnail clips you know, are, are they more alluring than others to get people to click on the video? Well, these tests are done. So lots of optimization and uh, making the experience the most addicting possible, basically. Mm. Getting people to come back. And so that's why 100 million people, 100 million visits day after day come to these sites. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Our Lady did say more people go to hell because of sins of the flesh than for any other reason. And this is an unbelievable influx into the homes and hearts and minds of many people that are being lured into hell, into a totally distorted mm. view of sexuality uh, and, uh, and of women uh, and men, for that matter. Um, how can this go on? with the the police being there is there no uh, action by police against this because i mean obviously these these videos are illegal what are the police doing uh there in montreal i haven't heard of any police action whatsoever taken uh the reports that i've read the articles that i've read from local media have not said a thing about what the police think of all this i know that uh, in the uh, some some articles online they do uh mind geek they do try to say that they are uh, complying to all the child porn laws and they're taking proactive actions in order to eliminate all this but their whole business model is kind of depends on other people doing their dirty work for them they can always say well it's not us it's the users who are uploading all this stuff and we're taking it down as fast as we can hmm. in the same way they the users pirate all sorts of videos and upload them and they try to delete them one at a time and they do they do these things very slowly well in the same way the videos are coming in like a like a fire hose and they they'll delete one they'll delete another they hire people as product formatters to watch dirty videos all day trying to see if the girl might be too young or not and uh, they delete but it's a drop in the bucket and so the fire hose of, of dirty um, pornography, sometimes child pornography, just get, floods the internet and they try to take it off so they, they show their quote-unquote good faith by trying to take these videos down, but it can never be fast enough because day after day, a hundred million viewers, up, some of whom, many of whom, thousands and, and millions of whom, 
upload their own videos, their own things. And so how could you possibly stop that unless you mm -hmm. just plain shut it down? Yeah, completely. Absolutely. Well, let, let, me, let me ask you uh, in, in closing, you know, you're a Canadian. I'm a Canadian. What do you say as a Canadian to the fact that this is going on in your country, in your case, right in your backyard? I just think that it's a betrayal. They, uh, clearly, the authorities are embarrassed by this because we have other tech companies uh, that are celebrated, they are championed, they are boasted about, the government keeps talking about them, uh, promoting them so that people come to Montreal to, to, to do programming and they say, here is this company, here is that company, come to Montreal, and they're proud of, whereas this one, nobody talks about MindGeek. You've never mm -hmm. heard about MindGeek, but it's a huge company that makes 800 million a year. So. I have, to, I have to think that uh, they're embarrassed. And something might, more sinister might be going on. You know, every year, for example, there's the Formula One weekend uh, in Montreal, and everyone knows that uh, prostitution spikes during that time. And uh, MindGeek is very big on throwing big parties during that time. Hmm. And that's been confirmed by local media. And so we can imagine that maybe certain persons of prominence are invited to these parties. I, mm. can't, I can't say for sure, but maybe there's corruption at work. Mm -hmm. uh, porn companies have, known, have been known to have associations with uh, the underworld. And so uh, this is not to be excluded. I have no certainty because we just can't uh, learn very much about companies like this that, are, that, that, uh, that operate in such an opaque fashion. So I feel that betrayed by the authorities. The authorities just want uh, to sweep this under the carpet. They're embarrassed by it. Uh, they profit from it clearly because there's a thousand jobs and uh, the uh, founders of, of uh, what became MindGeek also give uh, money to their alma mater, Concordia. So mm. we see how they throw their money around and they may be, uh, they may be by, by doing that, they may be buying complicity but I think that the authorities should take a second look at MindGeek and its effects on society because these effects are indeed devastating. Absolutely. Devastating for men, women, children, for families all over the world. Um, and it's true. It's, it's having an international global impact, for the negative coming right out of Canada to our great mm. shame. You know, speaking of embarrassing you told me something really quite stunning about the shame involved in this whole thing even from its founding tell us about that yeah well basically the three founders stefan manos wissam youssef and matt keiser uh they were uh conservative kids rough you know they had values and they were at, at the core embarrassed by what they were doing uh because in fact, they had never told their parents, and that was one of the main reasons why they had to sell the company to uh, Fabian Thielman, who eventually bought it off of them for $140 million. But before they had sold the company, they were trying to kind of just um, project it as a startup. When their parents asked them how they were making all this money, they were saying, well, we're, we're building websites, and they wouldn't explain what, and uh, they would just um, hide it. Like, for example, whenever their parents were invited to the workplace where they 
had their offices where uh, at the time it was called Mansef before it became MindGeek. So the Mansef offices already had uh, dozens and, and scores of people working there and it was in a shiny office building. And whenever the parents were invited over, uh, they would have a code word. So when friends and family came to the office, they had this code word and everybody on the floor had to switch off their screen or change the uh, program so that uh, whatever was on the screen would, not, would be hmm. changed for something innocuous. So they were completely embarrassed about what they were doing. They didn't want their parents to know. And when it became impossible to hide or impossible to handle, when it just got too big and even their security was threatened because of their copyright uh, piracy and uh, companies were threatening them, well, at that point they said, let's just get out of this altogether. And they sold to a German investor for $140 million, they cashed out and they disappeared at mm. that point. So it just shows that these people just got into something uh, for the money, but they did not like it, they're embarrassed by it, and to this day they just don't want to be associated with it at all. When you read on their uh, personal or other ventures, they have gone on to other ventures, they don't mention what they did and, wow. and how they got their money. It's a big mystery and they want to keep it that way for obvious yeah. reasons. Well, let's pray that some of that same shame rubs off on the current owners. Who are the current owners right now? Well, there are two people. It's Ferris Antoon and David Marmerstein Tassillo. And they're okay. currently uh, the owners now. They used to be high-level um, officers in the company before it was uh, before it became MindGeek. So when it was Mansef, it became Manwin when the German uh, Fabian Thalman bought it, and uh, they were high-level employees under Fabian Thalman. Okay. Let's hope some of that same shame rubs off. Canada can pressure uh, the government to, uh, to end this horror coming out of Canada, infecting mm. and spreading this real virus and plague throughout the world. Yeah, so one of the ways we can do that also is to protest them because one of the things that they do not want, MindGeek, you said that they had a, a, a logo on the outside of the building. They have mm. taken down that logo. Oh, wow. It's no longer there. There's no logo anymore. So you can't even tell what the building is about. They used to have a little yellow light bulb. You thought it yeah. might be some kind of electrical company or some kind of high-tech firm. They've taken that down. So you can no longer find any kind of indication of what that building is. And so they don't want any, any uh, attention whatsoever, any association hmm. to porn whatsoever. The workers there are not wanting to be associated with porn. And so any attention that they get will be something that they will feel heavily. When we were out there uh, filming the building and so on, a security uh, person came out immediately, almost immediately, asking us what we were doing, if we had a who sent us, and so on and so forth. They're very uncomfortable with any kind of attention. And so we're planning on doing a protest, and it's going to be coming up very soon, on, on March 8th. This International week, Day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, International Day of the Woman. So we want to sh just protest against the fact that these people are exploiting women for the money uh, and for the power that they get from it, $800 million a year on the backs of exploited women. Uh, this has to stop. And we're glad that we're, we're, we're spearheading this campaign to, to, to stop this kind of uh, spiritual and moral pollution starting right from Montreal. 
Absolutely. And we're going to be releasing, as of today, a petition to the government on this very issue to stop this filth, this disgusting, manipulative virus, this plague of porn going out from Canada, infecting the rest of the world. So please join us there. And I thank you, George, for joining us in this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. Thank you, John Henry. God bless. Okay. So, George, now we're going to go to a very well-known speaker on this subject, the subject, whole subject of chastity, actually. He's written very many books on the subject, the subjects of impurity. He's probably one of the world's best speakers on this, and uh, many of you will know him, too. I'm talking about none other than Jason Everett. He is author of many, many books, also one on pornography. Jason Everett, welcome to the John Henry Weston Show. Thanks for having me on. That's great. Now, we've been talking on this program about the group in Canada called MindGeek. It's actually the company which puts out Pornhub, the largest pornography website on the internet. Absolutely horrific stuff there, illegal stuff with minors, all sorts of nonsense. But it comes not as many Canadians might think or many around the world might think, oh, everything bad comes from America like that. No, no, no. It comes right here from Canada. So, Let's talk about pornography. What is it all about? And what is really the harm that porn causes? Man, I mean, where to begin here? Uh, people say, well, it's a, you know, it's a victimless crime. I mean, nobody's getting hurt. These women are, you know, consensual and they're agreeing to do this and they're allowed to express themselves if they want to. Well, let's break down the carnage that's, that's happening here. I mean, first you have uh, the men or women who are viewing this pornography. Let's say you're a husband and a father. I mean, what, what becomes of you? I've had high school girls tell me, you know, Jason, you know, I found out my dad looks at pornography and I used to look up to him. Now I can't even look at him. I thought he was a better man than that. Like Jason, wow. my dad is lusting after girls who are two years older than I am while my mom's sleeping in the next room. And then he erases his internet history, thinks we don't know, kisses my mom and goes to work the next day. It makes me sick how much I resent this guy. And so the friction that that creates between father and daughter, one girl told me, she said, I've been looking at porn every day for five years. Cause she said five years ago is when I found my dad's pornography. And he doesn't know that I know he looks and he doesn't know that I look, but every day since I found his addiction, it has become my own. Now the problem with porn though, is not that it's addictive. I mean, lots of things are moral that could be addicting, a coffee or whatever. The problem with pornography is that it degrades the human person, that you're looking at this person simply through the lens of lust as something to be used for your selfish gratification. And, you know, I, I speak about this because like, hey, this is something I struggled with growing up at home. I found it in grade school. It was part of my life for years. And I, I just gradually grew these kind of porn goggles. Like you don't even know how to look at a woman except through the lens of lust. And the day comes to love a woman and you have no idea. Like all you know how to do is take your own pleasure. I think it was Thomas Aquinas. He gave the definition of, uh, this is his definition of effeminacy. Okay, it's not definition of homosexuality or femininity. This is his definition of uh, a man who's been effeminate. And it's the refusal to let go of what is pleasurable in order to pursue what is arduous or difficult. And I think nothing has emasculated men in America and up in Canada anything as much as pornography has. We don't know how to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of women. We simply conquer women for the sake of ourselves. And so it is a simply 
robbed us of the understanding of what it means to be a man, to rightly love a woman, where we simply look at them as things to be used for selfish gratification. So this disease, really, of pornography is so pervasive. We are allowing these companies to get away with almost murder, things that are actually illegal, that tiny bit of, uh, of things that are still illegal, the underage bit. But what would you say if someone said, as, as several states have suggested, that pornography should be made illegal? Is there actually an argument for that? Well, there are already obscenity laws all over the United States and in Canada, but nothing is enforced. Mm. And so it's not a matter of these laws not existing. It's about nobody taking them seriously. Thankfully, more states are starting to step up and declaring pornography to be a public health crisis because there are some legislators who don't have their head in the sand and that are seeing the fallout of this. In fact, I saw recently an interview with a woman who's a pediatric nurse who helps children who are survivors of sexual abuse. And she said, you know what? The number one perpetrator of sexual abuse that we're seeing is not, you know, some live-in boyfriend or some step, you know, you know, some, some pervert down the street or some uncle. The number one perpetrator of sexual abuse against children is 11 to 15-year-old boys who've been exposed to pornography. Because these pre-adolescents, they see the stuff on their phone or their grandparents' cell phone when their grandparents aren't looking, and they see the stuff for years, and then their little sister has a slumber party with their nine-year-old cousin, and mom and dad are asleep, and stuff happens, and nothing gets reported. But just because nothing's reported doesn't mean there hasn't been a victim in this, and this poor girl carries this wound well into adulthood, and this is happening all over the place. I mean, Pornhub, I remember reading about a year and a half ago, their annual statistics or they talk about how many people are on their site. And they said that in one year alone, people spent a total of 4.5 billion hours watching porn on their website. I mean, do the math. That's 500,000 years of human life wasted on one porn site in one single year. And I'm meeting these kids. I mean, I met one high school boy. He says, you know what, Jason? I go home from school on the weekend and I watch 12 hours of porn on Saturday and I'll go to bed. They don't wake up watch 12 hours of porn on Sunday, and go back to school. He says, I hate it. It disgusts me, but I don't know how to live without it. Now, imagine the 16-year-old boy starts dating your 15-year-old daughter. I mean, what damage do you think could happen from this? And so the idea that we're just letting this fly and say, oh, it's a consensual adult entertainment. I mean, adults don't do this. This is not gentlemanly activity. And so gentlemen need to rise up and help to shut down this industry that's preying upon women and children especially. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, there is a whole bunch of uh, psychology out there, studies uh, that show that pornography acts very much like a drug. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, you, you look at what's going on in the studies, they're showing that the parts of the brain that are impacted from pornography use are the same as when someone's taking heroin or cocaine. And so it's not simply a spiritual battle or a, you know emotional battle or whatever, temptation, lust. It, it's a physiological thing that we're tapping into here. I remember St. Paul, he says, you know, don't you know that every other sin that a person commits is outside their body, but the immoral person sins against their own body. And so one of the things that it does in a sense is it resets the pleasure thermostat of your brain, that you need greater and greater levels of excitement to achieve the same high. Because if you think about it, you know, some 18-year-old college kids dorm, 
afternoon of looking at pornography can see more flawless women's bodies than any man in history could have ever have seen in hundreds of lifetimes. And he gets that in one afternoon. Well, he's back the next day, back the next week. You do that for a couple of years and then you jump into marriage thinking you're gonna be captivated by one until death do you part, it does not happen. You have trained your brain to be addicted to mental polygamy. And it's not a matter of, well, your wife can't compete with these women. No, these women can't even compete with these women because it's not like a man is faithful to one pornographic image and no others. After 30 seconds, he's bored and on to the next one. He has trained himself to be bored with the most flawless supermodels in the world. Needless to say, this is not gonna fare well for him or for any future partners. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This was this was one of the reasons why when Our Lady came uh, to warn us in 1917 with the children of Fatima, she said that uh, more souls go to hell because of sins of the flesh, sins of impurity, than any other sin. Yeah, yeah it was uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori um, said that when the raven finds a dead body, the first injury that it inflicts is to pluck out its eyes. And then he said the first injury that impurity inflicts upon the soul is to take away the light of the things of God. Meaning if you're blessed and pure in heart, you can see God. If we're not pure in heart, not only will we not see him in this life, we're not going to see him in the life to come. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, some of the some of the spiritual writers on, on, uh, on pornography or impurity uh, talk about dulling the mind. Is there any evidence for that as well? pornography and neurological studies have actually shown will actually shrink, physically shrink certain parts of your brain. And when you've got people spending a half a million years on one porn website in one year, imagine what those people could do for human civilization if they were spending their lives doing something a little more constructive with their time. And if someone wants to look up some of the neurological studies on what porn is doing to the brain, not only inducing sexual dysfunction, um, but making you, like you said, dull, simply go to the website, fight the new drug. Now fight the new drug is a website that's not, you know, religious in nature, but it simply gives the relational, sociological, the neurological evidence that porn, in a sense, is like smoking was in the 1960s. Oh, it's cool, it's harmless, it's hip. Uh, and then the studies came out in the 1980s and 90s of like, it does what to your lungs? It does what to your body? Oh, that's gross, that's not cool. Thankfully, porn is gonna get to that point where the studies are gonna come out enough saying this is not harmless adult entertainment. This is emasculating an entire culture of human beings. And a lot of, it's not just the men too. I mean, a lot of girls are struggling with this. They start looking at it out of curiosity. You know, what do I need to look like and how do I need to act and who do I need to be? But the, the women were never created to be porn. They're created to be loved. But when they get sucked into this culture and they get addicted, they start thinking, oh my gosh, something's wrong with me. This is a guy problem. But the fact is that lust isn't like a guy problem. It's a human problem. A lot of people struggle with this as males and females. So we need to make sure that we're saying that the, the damage that's being caused neurologically, spiritually, or relationally is not simply a male problem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, this this disease, this this affliction is so pervasive that it's probably affecting many even of our viewers right now and one of the things that you've done so well through your chastity project through all the things that you've done actually with your life you devoted your life to this in in, in a most incredible way is helping people out of this hell which really is a hell how do you do that and and what 
can you suggest for people who are trapped inside this or, or, or flirting with this or already drawn to it or whatever? Um, three ideas. One is to, to remember that the entire porn industry does not exist because it reveals so much of women. Uh, pornography as an industry would crumble if it showed too much of the woman because all it shows is her body parts. Uh, well, what if we showed more? What if we actually really showed this woman? Okay, well, what happened to that girl in the porn video when she was eight? Uh, well, she was actually molested by her stepbrother. What about when she was 12? Yeah, it was her uncle. And then when she was 12, there was that sexual abuse that took part on that date. She entered the porn industry at 18, and now she's 24 years old. She's strung out on heroin. Uh, she's had three abortions so far. And, and that porn video that you watched last week, she was actually conceiving a child that would be aborted six weeks later. Now, imagine that much of the woman was revealed. What type of man? Any integrity or nobility could get aroused at least degree by seeing that much of the woman and her life. And so to realize the porn industry can't show that much of the woman. All it can bear to show is just the flesh. Because if we go deeper than that, the whole thing crumbles when you see the whole person. And so that's what lust is, is the reduction of the person to their sexual value. We have to reorder. Yes, there is a sexual value, but the personal value is greater. So let's zoom out a little bit and see these people as human beings. So that's step number one. Step number two, I would say, is when the temptation comes, you know, you got to have a strategy. I mean, let's say you're at church and you get a pornographic flashback in your imagination. What do you do with that? Well, I, I'm not going to think about it. It doesn't work. I'd recommend a real quick thing. Make a little sign of the cross on your forehead. The first part of the cross is up. Gratitude. Thank you, God, for making that person beautiful. The second part of the cross goes down. Contrition. God, I'm sorry for the times I've failed to look rightly at your daughter. Create in me a clean heart. Then the cross comes up and off to the side. Think of that as you're going over to her now. You're thinking about her. Where is she at right now? Where does she live? What's going on in her life? Does she need prayers? Let's pray for her right now. Let's transform temptation into intercession. Now we're actively praying for her, healing for her conversion, for her vocation. And the last part of the cross leaves her and goes to the source of her beauty, which is God. So the beauty leads us back to God of adoration. And so this little four-step thing, and these are the four parts of prayer in the catechism, can transform that moment of temptation into a moment that lifts not only her, but our hearts back up to God. And then the last thing I'd recommend between those other steps is use something like CovenantEyes.com. Covenant Eyes is a website, an internet filter that you can use to block the pornographic content. If you go to the site uh, Covenant Eyes, you can use a promo code, it's just the word chastity, and that'll give you a month to try it for free. And what this is, is an artificial intelligence screen accountability program. It just won't catch the porn websites, but if something impure comes into your 15-year-old's phone through a text message, it'll catch that. If they're seeing it through Instagram, Finsta, Snapchat, Hoop, whatever, it's going to come into your report every single night. Block the content, send you the report. When you put this on your family's devices, you don't tell the kids, I'm going to know what you're looking at. You tell them, we're going to put this on everybody's computer in the whole family. So your little sister can know what dad's looking at. Dad can know what your brother's looking at. Your brother can know what mom's looking at. We're going to hold each other accountable as a family to the principles of the gospel. It's not us spying on you. It's our whole family is being assaulted by this stuff culturally, and we need to hold each other accountable. And one way that also helps is there's a, a text that you can send that Covenant Eyes came up with. And my wife and I have done this, it's been real helpful. 
It's just texting the word SAFE, S-A-F-E, to the following phone number, just 66866. So if you text SAFE to 66866, Covenant Eyes will send you for seven days, one video a day, they're just like three or four minutes, and it'll teach you how to lock down all the devices in your family. Okay, get on your kid's cell phone, go to their YouTube, click the notification to privacy settings, because look, we're busy parents. We don't have time to figure out all this stuff. So Covenant Eyes will walk through you in seven days and set the whole house up for internet safety. It's free. You're not gonna get 10 years of spam from them. It's a fantastic, simple way. Because look, a lot of parents need to get computer literate. I mean, your kid is like hacking into the Pentagon's website for fun and you don't know how to open an email attachment. We gotta catch up. And so things like Covenant Eyes will help us to get there. Amazing. Amazing. Jason, I've got to have you on again. Thank you so very much for being with us on this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. God bless. Hello, this is John Henry Weston. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to the John Henry Weston Show YouTube channel if you haven't already done so. There you will find all the past episodes and much more. Thanks again for watching and may God bless you.